Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my money on it. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because they're my team. For example, yesterday, for the line for the UVA Louisville game was at set at Louisville, neg- minus 7, and the over-under was 115. And I correctly took the over because I knew UVA would have this awesome offensive output, but it was a push for the spread which I did not get right, which was unfortunate. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer because my bookie will double your first deposit. That's promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. UVA football is the softest bunch of cream puffs, bow tie wearing, brie cheese eating, NASCAR wearing wussies I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to punch people from UVA right in the neck. wear suits to games. <laughs> That's absurd. All right, everybody. Welcome back, Guys and Ties Podcast. It's been two weeks, I think, but... Like a week like, and a half. A week and a half. Well, we had a double episode week. That is true. You're so, spoiled. Yeah. <laughs> Don't that, complain to... That's right. That's we spoil right. you. So we're back. Uh, it is Sunday, the day after UVA. Played Louisville pretty darn close. It was a close game. And uh, yeah, you know, we're here to talk about basketball. We're here... We'll talk a little bit about football at the end, but I think basketball is kind of where we got to start at because I guess, you know, we didn't win... But by all accounts, you know, every article was the same after the game. Did it's we, like, this is not a moral victory, but it's kind of a moral victory. Yeah, Tony Bennett had a great thing that was like, I'm okay if we get beat, but I don't like, we didn't lose this game. Yeah, I don't want to be, def- I, was like, I don't mind getting defeated. Tony, we did, Tony, we did lose this game, but I see where <laughs> you're coming from, right? So what Tony was saying was Louisville beat us, right? I think Louisville was clearly the better team on the court today, but... With that being said, you know, this Virginia team really fought back. And this is something that we haven't seen a lot this year. And you can go all the way back to the Purdue game at the beginning of the year to see, like, what happens when this team was down big. And Louisville went up really big in the first half. You know, they hit six of their first seven threes. They were up really big at halftime. They were up 12 or 13. And they scored 44 points at halftime or in the first half. And that was... Only six points less than our average for the whole game. And I think it was as much as Clemson overall. Probably, too. yeah. And so it was tough, you know, as a fan seeing like, well, okay, this is difficult to to see how we can bounce back from this because 
we're a defensive team, not an offensive team. And so if our defense isn't coming to play, it's going to be difficult for our offense to catch back up. However, it was our offense that really kept us in this game, in this game today, which was surprising. And we haven't really seen that so far this season. So we're going to dive in to a little bit why that was the case and what people helped us get there. And I think to start off, we have to talk about Thomas Woldetensai, the MVP, the clear MVP of this game. He was 10 of 13 from the field, 7 of 10 from the three-point line, 27 points, three fouls, only one turnover. And he was shooting lights out, and he reminded me a lot of Kyle Guy just coming off screens and then shooting. And he was feeling it yesterday, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole premise of Aaron McFarling's article was, you know, who's this guy? capitalized G guy, uh, real clever, Aaron. But anyway, you know, it obviously was a big game. 27 points, beat his career high by six points. 21 was his previous career high. And, you know, we've been looking for a score this whole season. And and, and a shooter. And consistent, consistent score. And now we've seen over the past few games, you know, it looks like, you know, knock on wood, hopefully this is kind of here to stay. Because, you know, the storyline that was starting to get picked up now, but that hadn't really been picked up was the fact that he had wrist surgery you know he's coming back Mm -hmm. I think it was a broken wrist on his shooting hand very similar to Braxton's injury yeah so he's finally coming back from it I think getting used to full speed ACC D1 ball I mean it's a tremendous trend for this team and you know the other thing is that he Thomas is you know he's he started off really slow in the season it has to do with getting up to speed in the game coming off wrist surgery learning the defense learning the offense and now that he's kind of caught up to speed, he's really been able to relax and do what he does best, which is shoot the ball. He shot close to 50% at Indian Hills Community College. And here in, at UVA, he's all the way up to 38%, even with his abysmal start to the season. He's been shooting well over 45% uh, through ACC play. And so he's been doing a really good job of doing what he does best. And, you know, he doesn't do much else if we're going to be honest, like he one assist, one turnover, three fouls. He's got trouble uh, keeping guys who are more athletic in front of him on defense. He's not very long on defense. Like for example, Cody Statman, not like terribly gifted defensively either, but at least he's super long and can deflect shots. So the thing with Thomas is that, you know, he comes in, can score a lot of points and he actually played most of the game, 38 minutes, just because we needed a scoring presence out there. Yeah, and, you know, the athletic article after the game, Eamon Brennan, and, you know, I'll continue to say, I really want a full-time athletic writer, you know, (laughs) David Teal, if you're out there, David Teal. Um, Anyway, the whole point is, in the second half, this was, like, by far the strongest points per possession UVA had Mm -hmm. had all season, and it peaked after uh, Thomas Wolde-Tensai's final three. UVA was at 1.37 points per possession. Mm -hmm. Now, they finished at 1.24, but, I mean... This was by far UVA's best performance of the season offensively, I would say. And I yeah. don't even know if it's close. I mean, the way Thomas Woldetensai was hitting, you have Kihei, who was very efficient. I mean, as someone who admittedly was not able to watch the game, I've read all the articles mm-hmm. and you know seen all the highlights. I was like, is this like the same Virginia team we were talking about like three weeks ago? Yeah. It's so different. Well, you know, one of the biggest things was lack of turnovers. We only had seven turnovers through the whole game. I think that's something that's been overlooked a little bit, especially considering the, the offensive output that we had. And we get more offensive opportunities when we don't turn the ball over at such a high clip that we have been this season. Uh, Kihei did a really good job, only had three turnovers yesterday, which is, you know, 
a little bit below his average. Actually, he had four, excuse me. But he had seven assists, too. So Kihei's been doing a really good job of trying to limit his turnovers. He had a couple weird passes yesterday when he was trying to force too much kind of late. So I'm not holding that against him. But he's been doing a really good job of, of trying to calm down this offense a little bit and also limiting turnovers while still trying to do a lot for this offense. Kihei, another really high offensive output yesterday 23 points four of six from three 18 of thir- or sorry eight of 13 from the field three of four from the line once again four turnovers seven assists five rebounds and he played a really good job yesterday and i feel like you can't talk about him yesterday without also mentioning he played all 40 minutes yeah and so did Mamadi last mm-hmm. night or uh, yesterday as well they both played all 40 minutes and you know as the season has gone on in typical Tony Bennett fashion, we're starting to see the rotation tighten. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, these past few day games, we've seen it tighten even more so really, than we're used to. Really tight. I mean, it's Wolda Tensai, Clark, Mamadi, Jay Huff, and Braxton Key. Mm-hmm. All of them played at least 30 minutes yesterday. Take out Jay Huff, all of them played at least 36 minutes yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at our bench, we had Kafaro play eight minutes, Marcel play six minutes, and Statman play two minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the five man rotation. We've got a couple guys out there on the fringe right now, but. You know, hopefully these guys can stay fresh and stay healthy and, you know, continue to play at a high level. But, I mean, I think we found our five-man rotation. I yeah. feel like this is tighter than Tony Bennett typically will go. Yeah, and you you were talking about this earlier in the week for whose place when you had that roundtable discussion about mm-hmm. your, your favorite five-man rotation that Tony's been using. I think we've all found it. Yeah. I think Tony found it. <laughs> Tony found it. <laughs> Clearly, by the minutes, you can yeah. see that. But yeah. well, and, it seems to be working. And the other thing, you know, this reminds me of a kind of a Duke team in, in the past couple of years especially when coach k would play you know the same five guys 38 minutes a game and his would only play like two bench players and this is very similar to that you know we only had 16 minutes off the bench two points off the bench three rebounds off the bench no assists one block six turnovers off the bench so four like, fouls <laughs> four fouls yeah so it oh no sorry only one turn off the bench but six fouls off the bench and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so so it's been it's very clear who Tony's trusting now, and it's very clear who he has decided is not going to get a lot of time. Um, clearest example is Cody and Casey. Definitely yeah, 100%. losing time now, uh, especially now that World of Tensai has found his shooting stroke, and especially that Braxton's been a lot healthier, and especially considering that Mamadi and Jay have been playing really well. So he's much more comfortable playing the that two-center two, uh, lineup mom and he's not really a center he's more of a strong forward but that 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 two big lineup with Braxton at the three does a really good job of you know spreading the floor a little bit especially now that Thomas can hit some threes which is great yeah and you you do kind of feel for Casey Morsell like I mean, poor guy just can't hit it's anything really, right it's now it's tough to you know like when when he comes in the offense just stalls and and it's not is nothing about him, but like Kihei, like he was wide open a couple times yesterday and Kihei just looked him off. And it's clear that Casey is in a, sh- like a deep shooting slump and it probably won't be fixed this season. Like, honestly, it's probably no, good. Yeah, he's going to need a hard reset for next season. And I'm, I, he can, he's perfectly capable of getting there, but it's all basketball is such a men- And I've said this before, basketball is such a mental game. And if you get in the wrong headspace, like uh, I, I always love bringing this up a couple years ago, Akil Mitchell, um, when he was a, junior shot really well from the free throw line but his senior year dropped like 20 percentage points airballed several free throws went to a like a sports therapist to talk about his mental space when shooting free throws so basketball is such a mental game and Casey is just 
feels like he's not going to get there this season. And it probably is going to take some a, a summer off and working on his shot and honing his shot. And he's perfectly capable of getting there, but just can he get there this season? Maybe yeah, not. I mean, at this point... At this point, it seems like the coaching staff has kind of accepted that he won't as well because, you know, Tony Bennett's incredibly insightful in his interviews, but he's not always kind of the exo tactician Mm -hmm. that he reveals in his interviews. He clearly has that, but the counterpoint would be Bronco Mendenhall. Bronco Mendenhall will walk you exactly through what he's thinking, Mm -hmm. for better or worse. Mm -hmm. And, um, (laughs) you know, one thing that Bronco says, especially early on when they were uh, implementing, like, new schemes and everything is... You know, they'd have these wholesale substitutions in between plays because they want to get the exact players in mm-hmm. for the right play. They're designing this play specifically for this one or two players. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of seeing that basketball now, especially yeah. with shooting threes. You look at the people who are shooting threes now, you know, last night or yesterday, it was Thomas Woldetensai had 10 attempts. Casey Morsell had six attempts. Mm-hmm. No one else had more than three. Yeah. And that's kind of where you want it. You have yeah. two players who can consistently make threes. If Jay or Mamadi are wide open in rhythm, mm-hmm. they can take it. Yep. But this, from a three-point shooting perspective, this is really Thomas Woldetensai and Kihei Clark. Mm-hmm. And that's our best options. And, you know, I think it says something that neither Morsell nor Statman attempted a three. And yep. In fact, they didn't attempt a field goal. Yeah. So yep. I'm not surprised. I mean, the, most of Casey's or some of Casey's men's came at the very end when David Johnson, Louisville's, one of Louisville's really good freshmen, was just taking it to Thomas. Thomas was unable to stay in front of him. And he was subbing Casey in for defense and he was doing a defense offense substitution, which we really don't see a lot from Tony because he will always prefer defense over offense. But I think this season he's realized that he needs a little bit more offense on the floor because Casey, you know, God bless him, really good at defense, hasn't been producing on the offensive in this season. So, you know, when, when we, when we keep Thomas in, we're going to fall a little bit on defense. And this year we were lucky to have two of the best shot blockers we've ever seen at UVA and Jay Huff and Mamadi Diakite. But so they can kind of correct some of those mistakes. But at the very end, it was clear that we needed Casey in there instead of Thomas, especially on those defensive possessions. And so for, I think the first time ever, we've really seen Tony do a defense offense subbing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there was actually a really interesting article kind of about that this week on The Athletic, and it was about how essentially Ken Pomeroy wrote it, Ken Pom, that, mm-hmm. you know, that guy. Um, but he was talking about the past 23 national champions, and of those past 23, 19 of them had a higher offensive efficiency than defensive efficiency, which he's was kind of comparing it to this year where a lot of teams are more defensively oriented. And you can say, oh, well, that's because college basketball isn't as deep, or there's mm-hmm. no superstars, or whatever you want to say it. But I think kind of the point of the article is that you can win games with defense. You're seeing teams do it this year, but you still need that offense to take the next level. And Virginia, by the way, last year in his system had a higher offensive efficiency than it did defense efficiency. Mm-hmm. I think it was two in offense and five in defense. Yeah, it was one but, of the f- first time ever, I think. Yeah, so I Definitely. mean, to me, it's, I think it's important to note we're talking about this as a great performance from UVA despite the loss. It was a great performance because the offense showed up. Yeah. Like, we can't forget about the offense. I know Tony Bennett will always be a defensive first head coach, Mm -hmm. but you really need to balance that out. And I think we at least saw that yesterday and are starting to see that pick up more in that, you know, the offense, you really need to have it. You can't just be, oh, we get it when we get it. We saw how that turns out. You lose to Boston College. You lose to South Carolina. You really need this offense to be more consistent. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is our first three-game winning streak since November. It's kind of crazy to think about that. Well, we we lost our streak. Yeah, but before this game. Yeah, before this, this yeah. would have made it four games in a yeah. row. But um, yeah, I mean, 
it's not a coincidence that this has coincided with the best offensive performances we've seen this season. Mm-hmm. And it really feels like the offense is clicking at the right time. Like, you know, we, we always talk about the, the hot team in March and what teams are like finding their way. feels like Kentucky always finds their way in March. Yeah, for real. Uh, Duke, Duke seems to like kind of click right at the end of the season. So usually it's like teams that are new teams that are young teams that have a lot of players who did not play in the, the team last year. And this is kind of the team that we have, you know, uh, Thomas Woldetensai, very new. Kihei Clark is a sophomore. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, but Kafaro, Statman, Morcel, all those guys are new to the system. I mean, Cody played a little bit last year, but not much. Casey's a freshman. Poppy's a freshman. So, like, all these pieces are kind of coming together at the right time. And hopefully this offense will continue to our next couple games that are really kind of critical if we do want to move forward and make the NCAA tournament. Which I know you were looking at that. So right now, Lenardi has us, or before the Louisville game at least, he had us as the first four in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, last four in. Last four in. Last four in. Last four in, okay. Yeah, not first four in. <laughs> not first four. No. Uh, yeah. We, not might, we might play in the first four. <laughs> yeah. No, in Dayton. That's, that'd, that'd be, be interesting. And um, I don't know. So now that we've seen this, at least... Between our last podcast and this podcast, I was saying I really thought we had to beat Florida State to mm-hmm. like kind of legitimize our tournament chances. We, and we did. We did. And I'm feeling, even with the loss to Louisville, I'm feeling better, you know, after beating Clemson as well, mm-hmm. you know, and looking ahead at our schedule. It's not going to be the easiest, but there are games that I think we still should win. I guess, how are you feeling tournament-wise right now, especially compared to where we were two weeks ago? Yeah, I feel good about where we are on the bubble right now. We're 51 in the net rankings. We, we jumped up five spots after losing the Louisville, so that was good. Our offensive efficiency, efficient, efficiency, thank you, jumped up about 50 spots after about 50 spots after losing the Louisville. So we're going on the right traje- trajectory. I'm having speaking today. Trajectory, and but we got to continue that. So I took a look at our upcoming games and kind of where they fall in the quadrant rankings. Now, for those who don't know, the NCAA went to a different system a couple years ago. They used to be the RPI. It would kind of rank teams and show how their wins and losses stack up against other programs. Now we have something called the net rankings, and we have a quadrant system. So based on where you play and who you play, you're going to get a different quadrant win. Quadrant one being the best, quadrant four being the not as great of a win or a loss. Okay, so for example, this season UVA has two has played five Quadrant 1 games. We're 2-3 and three in Quadrant 1 games. We won at Syracuse, and we beat Florida State at home, both of which were Quadrant 1 wins. And our Quadrant 1 losses have been all away games, losing at NC State, at Louisville, and at Florida. Oh, no, excuse me, not NC State, at Purdue, at Florida State, at Louisville. So talking about our upcoming games, we've got eight games left. And we only have two more Quadrant 1 games at the moment. Now, that all could change based on how the other teams do. Yeah, it's a dynamic system. It's, yeah, it moves all the time. But Pitt and BC, or no, sorry, Pitt and Virginia Tech, for example, are very close to moving up into Quadrant 1 games for us. But right now, they're Quadrant 2 based on what their ranking is at. So what, we, what we're going to do right now is we're going to go through the games. We're going to talk about what their net ranking is and what quadrant they're in and how that could affect our quadrant score sound good let's do it all right so first off we've got notre dame at home they are 
56 in the net rankings. That it is a quadrant two game. And that's this coming Tuesday, 9 yeah. o'clock in Charlottesville. It's unfortunate it's at 9. It's tough for me. Yeah, for you. I kind of like it. Yeah. I prefer the I just wake up games. early, but it's tough to stay up that late. <laughs> I will, though, for the Who's. But that is a quadrant two game. I think that's one. And the I actually want to break it up into three kind of sections. So these next three games, one section. The next two games is another section. And then the last three games is our third section to kind of close out. And there's different things I want to talk about with these at each section. So this first section, we got Notre Dame at home at UNC and then Boston College at home. I think all of these have to be wins for us, um, especially at Boston College and at UNC. You know, UNC is kind of streaking right now. Just tough loss last night to Duke. But crazy loss. Crazy Insane loss. loss. Insane loss, but, but they got Cole Anthony back. They were kind of feeling themselves. So it's really important that we go into North Carolina and get a good victory over them. Same with things with Notre Dame at home. Notre Dame's got a great player in Mooney. He's a, one of the best rebounders in the whole country. So it's really important to beat them. Both of those are quadrant two games. BC is a quadrant three game. BC by far is the worst team that we're going to play left in our schedule. They're 141 in the net rankings, which is unfortunate that we lost to them. Yeah. And it just sucks, especially without their best player. Really, that loss is much worse because they didn't have their best, their yeah. leading scorer and leading assister. In yeah, that game, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> anyway, so the, the those first three games are next up. Three coming games are Notre Dame, UNC, Boston College. Two quadrant two games and one quadrant three game. Really, those all should be wins because of who we're playing and also kind of how we are playing right now. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And you know, you looked at the rest of the schedule, which we'll preview. We'll continue going, but you know, these were the games. Of a couple of them, but these were three of them that you knew you had to win. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you lose one, then you're really putting yourself at risk on the bubble. Like, you got to get these. Especially considering that we are three and two in quadrant two games right now. You really want wins in quadrant one and two. And so it's really difficult. Like, if you lose those games, it doesn't look too bad, but it definitely does not help you at all. So winning against Notre Dame and UNC will definitely help. Beating Boston College is a must considering that that falls into a quadrant three game. And if we lose that, it'd be terrible. Yeah, that'll show up on the bad losses That will show up on the... It already does. Yeah. Our first one. (laughs) Times two. Times two. (laughs) Second part of our last eight games is at Pitt and at Virginia Tech. And both of those are quadrant two games, although they could very well move up into a quadrant one game if Pitt or Virginia Tech move up in the net rankings just a little bit. They're 78 and 79, respectively, Pitt being 78. Virginia Tech being 79, and they have they both have a good chance of moving up in the net rankings. I mean, Tech is kind of tanking right now. It yeah, seems Tech like. started off better than where they're at right now. Yeah, also a tough loss to BC again. Yeah, um, Landers Noli had a wonderful game, but missed a uh, three pointer right at the end to win it. So, you know, winning those two games is also very critical. But I think if we go one and two or one and one in those games. I think it would be fine, especially considering we have two Quadrant 1 games after that. But I would still like to beat both Pitt and Tech, both of which I think we can do. Um, in our preseason predictions, which we've thrown out because <laughs> it was we're all so wrong about those, but I, we both had UVA losing at Pitt in that game. 
how do you feel about it now, knowing what we know about our team and knowing what we do about Jeff Capel's pit team? I still want to, I don't want to say we're necessarily going to lose. I still think it's going to be a very difficult game. I feel like those are the type of game, like Saturday at noon, it's just kind of mm-hmm. hard to get up to for in the first place. Right. Um. But then, you know, on the road, you know, I really, I hope we should win this game. And, you know, when we were looking at the final 10 games of the season, I felt like you had to go seven and three to not be sweating bullets come selection Sunday mm-hmm. over those final 10 games. Now, so we've already lost to uh, Louisville, and then coming up, we'll also have Duke and Louisville again. So I really think you got to win both these games. Now, I'm not saying if you go six and four and you drop one at Pitt or drop one at Virginia Tech that Virginia will not make the tournament, mm-hmm. but we're going to be sweating bullets come Selection Sunday if we yeah. drop one of these two games. I think that these are, I mean, we should win both, the, we can win both these games, definitely. I mean, Pitt's good, but they aren't really, you know, a great team they've got some good players i think they're still finding out kind of who they are definitely not as good as the old kind of pit teams when uh jamie dixon was still there yeah for sure and you know i really liked him when he came to pit you know pit was tough pit was you know gonna grind games like us first couple games we played pit was like awesome to watch because we were very similar teams very similar styles and they were just kind of slug fests and after he left pit just kind of sucked for a while to put it lightly and now they're kind of they're kind of coming back a little bit jeff cable's got them in a good spot so that should be a good game and then playing in you know castle coliseum it's just it's tough it's dark it's hot no one's happy it's like a gym out of the 40s all the fans there want want it to be football season there are any fans there there are (laughs) any fans there there will be fans there for the uva game i think but you know, it's it's always tough playing there, and you know sometimes weird things happen. We were just I was just talking about the um, game in the in 2017 where London's shot got stuck in the rim and that double overtime game. Just weird, weird get stuff happens at Castle Coliseum, so which is unfortunate. So those are our next two games. So at that point, hopefully we are five and zero. That's a five game win streak, but I think four and one is fine as well. Yeah, I don't. It's tough to say where the loss would come from, but I would, I would love a five-game winning streak. I think the loss would either come at Pitt or at Virginia Tech. That's what I would say. Okay. And right. then, last three games to end the season, really, really nice stretch here. Duke at home, at Miami, Louisville at home. Two quadrant one games and one quadrant two game. And uh, Miami doesn't really have a chance to move up into a quadrant one, but Duke and Louisville are definitely going to be quadrant one games based on how good they are. Duke is six in the net rankings right now and louisville is seven in the net rankings right now and both of those games i think we have a shot to win especially considering how we play louisville to end the to end the game against louisville i really liked the fight that our team put in and watching duke against unc on saturday duke is beatable duke is very a beatable team and unc just kind of choked away the game at the end but I think we can win at least one of those games, if not both. I mean, we should definitely have a chance in both. If we can finish, if we can score enough is the question, I think. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you beat these guys, you feel pretty good about the tournament chances, honestly, assuming nothing else weird or fluky happens down the stretch. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously Duke, you know, the difference with Duke this year is while they still kind of have these great players like they don't have a Zion this year Mm -hmm. there's not a Brandon Ingram this year guys like that 
And then, um, so, you know, you like that. I like the Kihei versus Trey Jones matchup. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of will somewhat net out against each other. And then you look at the rest of the four on the floor and you'll see in Louisville, we've already shown we can hang with them. And, you know, I don't know if there's Tony Bennett actually has this secret plan that he always pulls out against (laughs) Louisville, but you know, UVA had won nine in a row against Louisville until yesterday. Mm -hmm. So obviously Virginia does something right when it plays Louisville. And obviously this Louisville team is a lot better than this Virginia team probably. But you know, Virginia came out and honestly, what they were up 70, 68 with a couple minutes left. Yeah. With with about three minutes left. There was a very real chance for Virginia. It was after the Chris Mack technical. Yeah. 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 And Kihei shot those free throws and then we didn't score again. Um, we didn't we didn't sh- we didn't make a basket for the rest of the time we hit a couple of free throws which was tough but i think yeah, finishing that game was rough but you know duke duke is beatable for sure i mean vernon carries a a monster down low but he was held scoreless in the second half fouled out with about 4 minutes left and we've seen that you know duke's other star freshmen Wendell Moore and Cassius Stanley they can have fantastic highlights but they don't necessarily play as well together as a team as, you know, Virginia can. So I think that game is going to be very close as well as the Louisville game. And then that Miami team is just not that great this season. Uh, They lost a lot of great players last year, and unfortunately, they're not that good. However, an away game, it is a Quadrant 2 game. So that that is one we should have, and hopefully we, we don't overlook it because of the duke and louisville games that sandwich it so hopefully we don't lose that one but i think if we beat either duke or louisville we'll make the tournament we just have to kind of take care of business against the other teams that we are supposed to beat Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i agree i think it's it's going to be close either way but you know there's the scenario where it truly could go 50-50 come Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's the scenario where it's 70-30 in Virginia's favor. And right. I think if you take the Duke or Louisville games, and if you say Virginia wins one of those, I think we're looking at kind of that 70-30. Like, Virginia should be in mm-hmm. uh, type of scenario versus, you know, who knows. And honestly, I think it's going to have a lot to do with, you know, who else is on the bubble this year. Because I think that, you know, just looking at the the other teams in the league that are going to be on the bubble. We're looking at NC state is going to be on the bubble as well. Uh, Texas tech and Oklahoma are going to be on the bubble. Uh, uh, Xavier Georgetown on the bubble. So there's a lot of like good teams that are going to be on the bubble, Michigan, Indiana, Purdue, Minnesota. I'm just going through the ESPN bubble watch, but there's a lot of teams that, have got work to do, and it really depends on how they all end the season. Especially a team like Michigan, who has some really good wins, but has really fallen apart late in the season. And they're kind of going in the opposite direction. So if we get more teams that are falling behind, and, you know, Arizona State's another one of those teams, right? You know, we have a chance to make it, but it really depends on how those other teams do and how we do against the top-tier teams in the ACC and, you know, we're not even talking about the ACC tournament yet. So when it comes to ACC tournament time, we have a, we have chances for more high-quality wins come there. Yeah, and, I mean, part of that will come in— what will potentially come into play is whether or not Virginia stays at number four in the ACC mm-hmm. and gets that double bye. Right. And if Virginia gets that double bye, it at least eliminates the possibility of dropping a game to, say, a quad three team. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, obviously you always want Virginia to be the higher seed. I think it actually is quite important to tournament hopes. It's, you know, you're eliminating some risk. And then also just a perception standpoint, hey, Virginia is one of the top four teams in the ACC. And there's really such a huge gap between the top three and kind of the next tier. Right. But if Virginia is able to kind of sneak their way in and get that double buy, mm-hmm. I think that bodes well for, you know, the selection Sunday, which comes shortly thereafter. Yeah. And the and the, the team that we really have to worry about that right now, at least, is we're tied with Syracuse for fourth place in the ACC. And, you know, luckily for us, Florida State's got a tough schedule coming up their next three games are nc state at home that's that's a huge game for nc state because that that could potentially give them a quadrant one win uh they they're at florida state and then they're at louisville so those are three games that are going to be tough for them and so hopefully they drop a couple and we can kind of lock up fourth place especially with our games coming up against notre dame and unc and boston college so i'm looking i'm going to be looking at the other teams in the acc I'm going to be looking at those other bubble teams as well. And we'll be updating you guys kind of as February ends and March comes forward. And we're going to know definitely kind of what this team needs to do in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no shortage of drama. You know, last year we had the fun drama going into the yeah. final four and all that. It was definitely this a year we're learning kind of about drama. how net rankings work. <laughs> no, we knew that. we knew how net rankings worked, but we just never paid attention yeah. to them because it was never an issue. You know, we would always have like eight, nine net quad one wins, no no quad three or quad four losses. But this year, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we we had some bad losses this year. South Carolina is looking bad. Uh, that Boston College loss is terrible. Purdue really. might be the flukiest team in the country. Purdue you never is, know what you're going to get with Purdue. Purdue's a quad one win for now. Um, or the, the loss, loss, excuse me. But, you know, and, and, you know I, I think I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking with a buddy. But would it be more beneficial for UVA to not have the double bye in the ACC tournament so that we can get another quad one win. No, I want the double buy. You want the double buy? I I would rather at this point eliminate the possibility of losing than show do the you, possibility of potentially Do you winning. think that the NCAA tournament would not let us in even with even if we got fourth place in the ACC? I have no idea. I don't know either. I have no idea. I think that's I think that's a really interesting thing to think about because It'd be really strange for there to only be three teams in the ACC in the NCAA tournament, especially considering we had, you know, 10 a couple years ago. And you got to think about, you know, NC State and Syracuse are always bubble teams. But if we're fourth in the ACC, that's saying that, you know, Syracuse and NC State messed up along the way and they're not going to make it probably. So would, would the NCAA tournament selection committee leave out the fourth place ACC team because we don't have enough quality wins. I have no idea. And we were just <laughs> super, su- super average throughout the ACC. Yeah, for real. I don't know. But I think here, here's a scenario. So if we, if we don't, if we're in fifth place, we don't get the double buy, but we do have another chance at a quad one win, depending on who we would play in the, in the ACC tournament. Because we'd be at a neutral site. There's a higher range for there to be a team that would be a quad one win yep and then we would probably have another quad one game against a team who would be in fourth place if we win that game i mean i guess we'll find out in about two weeks three weeks whether or not it'd be helpful i know right now i would say double buy benefits us more 
But you I know, think I agree depending with you. on what happens, we might not we have might, a choice. We might want to we might want to tank for that fifth seed. <laughs> scenarios <laughs> so, I, mean, I, I i think i think that's an interesting thing to talk about but i i definitely would think the double buy would be great you know super super surprising especially considering how we kind of fell apart in the middle of the acc schedule we lost those three in a row but i think that we de- we still have a we're very much in play for a double buy right now i think it'd be really it's gonna be interesting going down the stretch seeing how syracuse does and some of the, how those other teams do to who are fighting for that double buy i think duke and florida state and louisville pretty much locked up their double yeah. buys unless they somehow collapse at the end of the season, which I don't see happening. Yeah, I mean, they're they're all but sure things. All but sure things. So as the season goes on in the coming weeks, we will continue to update y'all about net rankings and where we are standing and where we are on the bubble and what Joe Lenardi thinks of us. It's important. <laughs> it's very important. It's very important. And I think that's all we have for basketball. So coming up, we've got... As we said, Notre Dame at home on Wednesday, at UNC on Saturday, and then Boston College at home the following week. Yeah. So with that, unless there's anything else you want to touch on, we can kind of loop in football. A Let's talk bit to football. Because there is still a little bit of news. I think this will be kind of the last week that there's kind of meaningful news For until kind of spring ball gets mm-hmm. started and we're getting hints of reports here and there. Mm-hmm. But Unless there's a transfer, grad transfer. Yeah, that's always in play. But I think this was kind of the last kind of big week of player personnel moves going on, which, you know, it started last week. Last Wednesday was the second signing day for the class, and Virginia brought in two players, Demick Starling and uh, Nusi Milani. So both of those guys, Milani kind of came in because Lorenz Terry at defensive end is going to fourth union for a semester a year not Mm -hmm. entirely clear so he comes in he'll take that role that was going to be lorenz terry's so terry will most likely join the next class and then starling's a big addition to this class you know neither one of these guys are like highly rated players necessarily they're both three stars but starling comes in with a lot of speed you know the staff is comparing him to a dontavian wicks type Mm -hmm. late riser and you know wicks was probably the best of the freshman receivers last year seems to have a big future so we'll see if starling comes in there but he really comes in at a position of need and joins lavelle davis as the second wide receiver in that class but perhaps the more interesting thing that came up was the player moves that were previously on the roster who are no more mm-hmm. and the big moves being at running back with Lamont Atkins and PK Kyer yep. no longer on the team so it's not entirely clear some reports are saying you know Kyer is going to try to transfer that Atkins is kind of done with football uh I don't know it's not yeah, entirely I heard clear. I heard Atkins retired yeah so that might be the case staying, at, U- case staying stay at UVA but not but not playing football anymore. yeah so we'll see how that plays out but regardless that leaves us as really kind of two scholarship running backs next year that are kind of every down type players and peacock yeah so (laughs) right now in scholarship we have wayne talapapa Uh and mike collins who kind of fit the every down mold we have seneca millage who's going to be most likely used more as an h back the way alameda zacchaeus was his freshman year Mm -hmm. you know more on sweeps and stretching the edge outside not really a between the tackles guy as well as in the return game yeah and he should well in the return game against uh liberty i think it was Mm -hmm. and then you have peacock who's truly kind of a fullback just a straight fullback yeah so the reason this becomes interesting is because two transfer running backs showed up this week entering their names in the portals one of which Virginia has a better shot at than the other, but mm-hmm. both of which are intriguing because Virginia recruited both of them. 
uh, the first and most likely one is most likely going to be uh, Ronnie Walker, who mm-hmm. has requested his transfer or entered the transfer portal from Indiana. So he had two kind of, I'd say, kind of average years at Indiana. He was kind of buried on the depth chart. But if you look at the way this guy runs and the way this guy plays, this is a between-the-tackles guy, a bit more speed, I'd say, than a guy like Jordan Ellis had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's really... I'd say odds on favorite to land at Virginia because his final signing day, it really, the decision really came between UVA and Indiana. Mm-hmm. And with him coming out of Indiana, I think Virginia is really well set here. And also of note, Ronnie Walker is the half brother of Travion Henderson, who is a big time running back recruit, four stars, you know, offers from Alabama, Clemson, you know, in state guy. Mm hmm that Virginia is pursuing hard right now and probably still a bit of a stretch if Virginia is going to compete against like really the tier one, the class of college football. Mm -hmm. But if Ronnie Walker goes to UVA, as many people think, you have to think this at least, you know, tilts, gives us a little bit more in our favor going after Travion Henderson. Mm -hmm. So it's really an interesting play here. Both in-state guys, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, it didn't work out so well for the Chris... Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is true. We also like moved his brother to like the other side of the ball. We're right. like, oh, you're buried at defensive end. Why don't you go get buried at tackle instead? Right. <laughs> but um, the other guy transferring Ricky Slade um, out of Penn State. Me personally, I would be shocked if he ended up at Virginia. UVA mm-hmm. did offer him uh, in-state guy originally out of Woodbridge. He was a five-star. You know, he's the number one all-purpose back, number one player in the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. I just don't see that fit well at uva both from a scheme perspective and then how many how many years does he have left uh so both these guys played two years and presumably they'll you know barring a hardship waiver they'll sit one and Mm -hmm. then still have two years of eligibility remaining yeah so it's also interesting i don't know if you saw like the big Ten's proposal big 10 is trying to like get more clarity on transfers i did i don't know if that's the solution necessarily but i think it's a good first step for for those who don't know the big 10 tried to get or proposed that that transfers would be able to play immediately, not have to sit out a year. And I don't know kind of what that solves or what other problems that creates, but I think that would be an interesting thing to think about and interesting thing to kind of explore. I do think that, you know, I think the the sit like tra- like sitting out one year after transferring is meant to kind of deter players from doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. However, I can see the argument that players should have the right to choose kind of where they play. And if people are okay with them transferring, then that's fine. I don't know if it would lead to more turnover or less less turnover. But I think that, you know, in this day and age, there's so many recruits who kind of don't make the right decision or recruits who actually don't make their decision at all because they have other people telling them what to do. So I think giving recruits more power would be a good thing but also you know it might cause more turnover in the college football landscape which i I don't know if that's a good i don't i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily it's just like players who don't play very much will just leave and go somewhere else yeah it essentially creates like almost a year of free agency for every player Mm -hmm. which you know it's it's an interesting way i think the more likely scenario and i've seen this raised in a few articles would be you know maybe there's a clear rule, hey, you can transfer without having to sit out a year if 
it's only after your second year you transfer after your mm-hmm. first year if your gpa is at a certain level mm-hmm. i think there's going to be some stipulation in there i think it's the only way to kind of prevent kind of this true free agency which i don't think the nfl or sorry the uh ncaa really wants mm-hmm. but i don't know it's interesting and it kind of it brings this up a little bit especially now you know we're looking at transfers here at running back there's also a possibility that R.J. Harvey, who's a backup quarterback, could get some run at running back in practice, mm-hmm. in which case, look for UVA to go after a transfer quarterback card, yeah. a guy with immediate eligibility yeah. for next season. So that would be a grad transfer. But hey, if this rule's in place, maybe it doesn't have to be well, a grad transfer. The, the, it's arg- interesting. the other argument I've heard as to why that would be a bad thing is because like, the smaller schools would just become a kind of transfer factory it would would be a minor league kind of thing so like if you go to a school like marshall and i I don't know why i said marshall just for school that pops in my mind but if you go to marshall and do pretty well you can just transfer to a bigger school and get more exposure like Mm -hmm. right afterwards and marshall would lose a good player who would otherwise stay there for one or two more years so i think that would be tougher on the smaller schools but more beneficial for the bigger programs like michigan alabama and you know everyone else who just gets all the good recruits anyway so i can see arguments for both but i think that there should i mean definitely discussion about it i don't i don't know if that it's if it's actually going to be a discussion because the big 10 was just like hey what if we did this yeah it's just kind of like ncaa was like we don't care about you we're gonna do whatever (laughs) we want so we'll see but regardless so i think it still is a very relevant topic to uva because the guys we are exploring um, as potential transfers coming into the program. So this recruiting class is basically done. UVA signed 15 players. Andrew Gentry won't arrive on grounds for two years because mm-hmm. of his LDS mission. So it's essentially a 14-player class. Mm-hmm. So right now, if I have my math right, we're at 83 scholarships right now, mm-hmm. which means UVA has two more scholarships to fill potentially in this class. Now, that means they could accept transfers in. That means they could award a walk-on with a scholarship. It essentially just gives them breathing room to scholarships Mm -hmm. and there might be additional attrition Mm -hmm. in the roster after spring ball but regardless uva has a couple spots they can fill on the roster with transfers right now so expect uva to really be a player especially at running back especially at quarterback and if a guy that's just too good to pass up also shows up in the transfer portal hey virginia might take a flyer there as well yeah so it's going to be an interesting time to monitor i don't think there's going to be a ton of activity between now and the start of spring ball Mm -hmm. but definitely something to keep your eye on because virginia is going to be active whether they get transfers in or not they're going to be active pursuing people yeah for sure especially especially with the with rj harvey maybe moving positions and you know if if he moves then we we go a different direction but i think that my guess is i'm not huge in the football transfer market but my guess would be that we get at least one grad transfer either at running back or quarterback yeah and quarterback's going to be interesting too because you you're almost going to have to promise this guy a chance at a competition if you're Mm -hmm. going to bring in a grad transfer but the staff is also so high on brennan armstrong Mm -hmm. i'm curious to see how they'll pitch it i don't know but regardless something to watch we still have stone we do have (laughs) lindell stone we do we do. He's really more. Baby. He's really more of a grad assistant at this point. Oh yeah, he's one hundred percent kind of the role that right. the Reed Callum was. Yeah. The, uh, um. Shoot, I forget the other linebacker before him who played the similar role. Mm-hmm. Um. CJ Stalker. Mm-hmm. He's essentially that role, but on offense. Yeah. But hey, he's if you're not going to be on the field, do something like that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah, man. Anything else you want to talk about with football? 
Nah, I think that I think that covers think it. it. You want to give some yells? Yeah, yeah. Let's give some yells. Um, I got to go, David Teal, man. Uh-huh. David Teal, uh, stepping down from the Daily Press. Sounds like our man David Teal is still going to stay in writing or sports writing or something in the public eye. I really hope he does because no one covered the Commonwealth of Virginia better than David Teal. Mm-hmm. You know, I would read him for UVA articles one hundred percent. I would even read him for Virginia Tech articles mm-hmm. when I wanted the insight there. David Teal was just the man, a class act, and uh, going to miss him at the Daily Press, but hope he stays in um, Virginia sports because he's just too good to let leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my yell's going to go, and we probably should have covered this, but my yell's going to go to all the UVA players who made the Combine, got invited to the oh, Combine. Yeah, we should have talked about um, this. You, you want to do it real quick? Yeah, just a minute. <laughs> just real quick. Uh, first of all, snubs from the combine bryce perkins and hasis dubois really surprised especially hasis did not get invited to the combine especially after his uh, incredible catch in the orange bowl that was very very out there a lot of people saw that catch a lot of people said that it was a catch that would be made at the next level might get him drafted still but not invited to the combine which is unfortunate for him because he could have gotten a lot more exposure for his skills now i don't know if he's you know, how he matches up with other wide receivers in this class. I know there's really good ones, CeeDee Lamb. Um, there's a couple others I know that are really good. But but I, I'm, I'm surprised and disappointed that he did not get one. Now, UVA will still have a pro day to show off his skills and his stats, but, you know, it's not quite the same. And so hopefully he gets a chance in the NFL. Yeah, and the big difference with kind of the workouts that take place at both the combine and the pro day, but differentiates the combine is that it's essentially like a week of interviews with mm-hmm. these players for they get with these teams. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's as much the networking aspect of really getting to introduce yourself and sell yourself to the whole league yeah. that these guys are unfortunately going to miss out on. And, and it's different than basketball because in basketball players will get invited to try out or not try out, but to participate in a practice with teams that are interested in drafting him. So I know Kyle and Ty and Dre, um, well, not really Dre, but Kyle and Ty definitely made their rounds uh, to teams around the country to to see what they were made of and how they how they did. And, you know, both got ended up getting drafted. But in the NFL, it's a little bit different. They The schools will hold things, and then scouts will go to those schools and watch the players. So it's a little bit different. But hopefully, uh, Hasis will get drafted. And Bryce Perkins, too. Um, had a really good year, did not get, I'm not as surprised he didn't get invited to the combine because he's not a typical pro quarterback necessarily. Uh, Rob and I actually have an XFL game on right now. And, you know, does Bryce go to the XFL? Does he get a chance in the NFL? And I think that's remained to be seen, but I think that he, he could definitely get a chance in the NFL, especially considering Lamar Jackson's year that he had and kind of the similar role that Bryce Perkins the the kind of the similar mold of quarterback that he is, even though I will say Lamar Jackson is way like a better yeah, passer, a much better Heisman winner, and, Lamar and also a much better runner than Bryce, but but still kind of in the same mold. And if a team will take a chance, kind of on Bryce Perkins, or if Bryce Perkins gets drafted by the Ravens and you know as a backup, yeah, who can say? No, it's interesting. Like for me, my comparison for Hasis Dubois is Kelvin Harmon, mainly just because I saw him on the Redskins, similar games. Mm-hmm. Harmon was drafted in the sixth round. He got a combine invite. My guess is that Hasis, just by virtue of not getting a combine invite, probably goes undrafted. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll find out with that soon enough. And you know, I looked back at um, 
Marcus Hagans too, another mm-hmm. UVA dual threat quarterback. And he was one always going to be drafted as an athlete, mm-hmm. wide receiver really at the next level, but he also got a combine invite. So, you know, the three players UVA did get combine invites for, uh, Bryce Hall, Jordan Mack, and Joe Reed. But, you know, like you said, doesn't shock me Perkins didn't get an invite, but I kind of thought Cease would get an invite. So. I, I think so. And, and also Joe Reed getting an invite, great for him. But I think Hasis was definitely a better wide receiver prospect. Joe Reed is much more of a specialist. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, Joe Reed will definitely play on a special teams next year in the NFL, whether he's a gunner, whether he's catching balls on punt returns or kickoff returns. Joe Reed will play on a team next year. I'm I'm almost certain of it. Now Hasis, you know, he could be a practice squad player. He could be he could make a fifty three man roster somewhere as a wide receiver, as a kind of a down wide receiver, Larry Fitzgerald type possession receiver. But, you know, unfortunately he didn't get one. So hopefully he gets drafted. If not, hopefully he makes a team as an undrafted free agent. Yeah. So that, hey, at least was, Virginia got three players in, but I really would have liked that might be the longest yell we've ever given. <laughs> we just, just have a whole nother segment. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a Jay seg- Jay Huff segment today. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll have to save that. Well, he didn't. He didn't do much. <laughs> Four points, thirty minutes. Thirty minutes, though. That's more than he real, used to be able. You know, to play. real. Re- it is. But he also played some okay defense. He really had a tough time hanging with Louisville's bigs. I thought UVA played really a lot better offensively when Kafara was in for those eight that eight minute stretch in the second half. That's when Thomas really was going off. Maybe it's because Thomas was hot, but I also think it had something to do with Kafara just being a great screen setter, kind of like Jack Salt could be the case also feistier than jack salt i like it i like it anyway oh that's that's your yell that's my yell i give i give two yells for like 10 minutes we're good we're good to go all right anything else we want to add let's wrap it up let's wrap it up all right thank you so much for listening this is the guys and ties podcast we'll be back hopefully actually we're not going to do one next weekend i'm going on vacation to celebrate uh my fiance finishing her step one test for med school so hopefully uh, we will do one after that, kind of maybe in the week. We'll see how Rob's doing. We'll be back soon enough. We'll be back eventually. We will update you on net rankings and bubble watch and if we get a transfer or not. So make sure to keep listening. Follow us on Twitter at Guys and Ties Pod. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Snapchat for all that bonus content at Guys and Ties Pod. Give us a follow on Spotify and iTunes if you want to keep listening to us. And check out Armchair Media they are putting out a whole bunch of different stuff, a lot of different podcasts about all your favorite uh, sports teams. And we will see you guys when we see you guys. Go Hoos, beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame. <laughs>